Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. I'm here with my friend and co-host Ross Ferguson, academic advisor at the aforementioned Midwestern Seminary. I'm always told that I have to say the full name. Midwestern Baptist Theological Center. Who says you have to do that? Well, you know, represent it officially. All right. No one's told me that, so I'm going to keep rolling with what I do. <laughs> Midwestern, Midwestern Seminary. You know, once upon a time, uh, we were several years into kind of the resurgence of the seminary. We were making a big splash hmm. in this rebuilding, rebranding. Um, and it was several years in. It wasn't like it was brand new. It was like, it, it was a big deal. We were, you know, fastest growing at that time. And like everything was, you know, it was pretty big. And I was at, at, a, at a conference, and somebody introduced me to a professor from a sister seminary. Oh, no. Uh, which we all love. We yeah. all love our sister seminaries. A rising tide lifts all boats. <laughs> um, I, 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 honestly, it's a, this, no sarcasm <laughs> at all. It's, it, this is actually a great time institutionally for the mm-hmm. seminaries in SBC Life because all theologically healthy, great places to send students. Obviously, we're partial to the, <laughs> the seminary where we are. Um, but great. But anyway, so I was introduced to um, a fellow from a, a, another seminary, and they said, "This is Jared at um, you know Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary." And he said, "Oh, oh." He goes, "Oh, Midwestern." And like he had this look on his face, and he says, "I always get you confused with Mid America." And I looked back at him, and I said, "No, you don't." <laughs> I said, "Maybe ten years ago, yeah, but you know exactly who we are." <laughs> and the look on his face said. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> he was trying to pull a power move on me, brother. He was trying to like, you know, I don't know if he, I don't know what it was. He was trying to like, uh, you know, put me in my place and like, oh, Midwestern. Yeah, you're like, you know, I get you confused. With, and I just thought, no, you don't. It's, not it's not, not right now. You don't. Yeah. It's not true. It's, it's not, it's, it's not true at all. It was a difficult conversation, which okay. is the topic oh, for today. What a transition. <laughs> Actually, you know, speaking of difficult conversations, we went uh, recently, I'll, I'll extend the banter a little bit. It's only two minutes into this uh, podcast, and you have to account for all the, all the you know, the music that comes. I once asked you where that music came from. Yeah, some guy in comms picked that out. I mean, there were samples. I think I probably chose, but of the things are like, they let me listen to three or four, and I was like, I'll take the rock and roll. But after a while, things get a little I always, I always envision like a, Smoke machines coming out. Jar's walking into the <laughs> podcast room. What should it sound like? Should it be like a little plinking guitar? I don't know. Well, it it, it does. It does look like cur- curtains roll back. Jar comes out of the green room. You Some know, rich welcome to the for the church. Welcome. Uh, yeah. Well, man, we're just trying to bring it home. Anyway, I, actually, we're in a dark little square room. So, <laughs> speaking of a difficult conversation, we um we went recently. To see the forty is the fortieth yeah fortieth anniversary showing of E. T. Steven Spielberg movie E. T. And um, there was a group from church, some young adults. So it was all, it was all younger people. You know, Becky and I were the oldest people there, and the the rest of the people who who joined us uh, were at least twenty years younger than us. So most of them were not born when the movie came out, and I mean, most of them was probably like 10, 15 years after the movie mm-hmm. came out that they were born. So some of them had never seen the movie. So l- l- let me tell you, I mean, if you don't know, and I'm sure you do know, uh, like I love this movie. Yep. It may not be in my top 10, but it's pretty close. Uh, I think it's pretty close to a masterpiece. 
and I have a lot of thoughts on it. And so I was so stoked that these young adults who'd never seen it are going to go see E.T. on the big screen. And so we're seeing E.T. And when it was done, we walk out into the lobby. And I'm like, ah, ah, what do you think? You know, we're like in a circle. And like, I was just so excited. Like, let's talk about it. You know, what do you think about it? And one guy was like, yeah, it was all right. And I was like, you, I wanted to strangle him to death. <laughs> what do you mean it's all right? And others were like, you know, I can see, you know, they were thrown off. They thought the special effects were not, yeah. you know, I'm like, gosh, I don't watch Casablanca and go, that plane's not really in the air. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, I mean, I understand this is what the effects were like in 1940. It just, you just sort of adjust to that. They, it didn't seem to connect on a spiritual level like it does for me. So I was trying to explain the impact of fatherlessness and how that, you know, the, the most important character that you don't see is the dad yep. who's, who's gone from the family and all these sorts of things. And it just, ah, I was, it was a difficult conversation. Yeah, but this is a generation that has Marvel movies. That's, that's ultimately ah, so. the, the reason. They want quick, amazing special yeah. effects. I, I say this as someone who has just left that generation. Um, okay. <laughs> and I feel like I, I refused to watch any movies before 1990. Yeah. So that's, that's my cutoff. Special effects cause me issues yeah. uh, pre-1990. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about real conversations that are difficult. I mean, that was a real conversation, but let's talk about actually difficult mm -hmm. conversations. And I just want to set up a scenario and we don't have to stick to the scenario, Okay. but this is the scenario that I want to give because I think it's something you and I have been familiar with. Um, it's something that you're that we'll face ongoing in our life. Mm -hmm. And I think it's common, not just to pastors, but to lay people as well. You're about to walk through a door into a room of people and you're not quite sure what's waiting for you on the other side of that door, but you have a pretty good idea that it's some degree of disapproval, criticism, or need for which you are responsible. You have to walk through the door and speak into the situation, the challenge, the relational conflict, whatever it is. You have to walk through the door and have the difficult conversation. I'm thinking of the pastor who's got to walk into that deacon's meeting and he's got to, in some sense, raise a question that's been, he knows I've got to address this. And he's been avoiding it because it's uncomfortable to bring up things that are, are difficult. You don't want to have conflict and so on and so forth. Or it's the family dinner table at, you know, during the holidays. And there's the, the family member that you're at odds with. And you, you just know that's waiting for you on the other side of that door. Having the difficult conversation about relational conflict, criticism, church discipline type situation, mm -hmm. something like that. What do you say? You come alongside. Someone's, you know, they're about to walk through the door. They're taking a deep breath, <laughs> saying a prayer to the Lord. Ross Ferguson, academic advisor, walks up. <laughs> hey, before you walk in. Can I check your grades? No, that's not. <laughs> before you walk through the door, let me tell you, fill in the blank. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I've, I didn't set you up well. No, no, no. I, <laughs> okay. Literally, there has been so many situations where I felt like that going into a room. It's often members, Me <laughs> members meetings, elders meetings. Yes. Just so often. There, there's a couple of things that immediately spring to mind. The, the first is where I personally find my value. Um, I think often in these difficult conversations, you want to keep everyone as fr friends. You know, you, you kind of, you, you don't want to be disliked. You don't want to be someone that's, uh, labeled as grumpy, antagonistic, you, you, you know, you don't want to be the guy that that picks fault at something when right. you know actually you're not picking fault with something, you're trying to lead others in a kind of correct manner. And I think there is a temptation to 
find your value in other people's respect, other people's um, friendliness towards you, acceptance of you. And I have found over the years that having those conversations, you have to remind yourself that your value is not in that other person's approval and actually right. your values in Christ. Um, so that that's a big major one for me. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody that, that wants other people to like me, not in a kind of people pleasing yeah, way, uh, but just in a, you know, it hurts me when I think someone has been offended by me, even though I seem to do it so often. <laughs> um, but the second thing, and, and there's lots here, but the two, these are the two first things. The second thing is um, my voice gives me away. Um, and it's something that my wife has helped me on in terms of like, this is what you're sounding. You know, you sound angry, mm. you sound this. And I think in difficult conversations, I think let's put our hands up and just own up to it. We're nervous and your voice can change tone, speed, all these things. And so one of the things I would say is talk slowly and talk calmly, you know, always be quieter than the person you're talking about or with. Always be slower in conversation, you know, be that calming influence, even though that you're, you're taking a, a big swing, do it calmly and gently. Um, and that, that distills a room, especially when a couple of guys want to rail against you yeah. and you're just responding in gentleness. I find often it antagonizes them more, but you just don't, you don't want to enter into that world. Uh, just, just calmly, slowly. And there's going to come a moment where you're going to have to say, I'm done. This conversation is no longer progressing. Mm. You're going to need to do that calmly too. It's not like throw the paper in the air and walk out. It's a, yeah. guys, I, I think we've gone as far as we can. I'm going to stop it here and, and just kind of calmly pray in and, and walk out. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's the two immediate things that come to my mind. Yeah, the people pleasing thing, or or the des desire for approval, not people pleasing thing. Although they they often go hand in hand. I struggle with that as well, and it's it's a a matter of just wanting everyone to be happy mm. for one thing. I don't think I act in a people pleasing way, but internally it does bother me when I know someone disapproves or yeah. or is upset or critical or something like that, and. And I'm thinking, gosh, how can I bring them along? How can I get them to change their mind? Ed Welch has written a great book called When People Are Big and God is Small, mm. which I read a number of years ago. Super helpful. The concept, super helpful. And I think that's what you're speaking to is yeah. there's a distorted view of you're being ruled by people's perception of you or their, their appraisal of you. And what God says about you somehow is diminished in your mind. And you need to reverse that effect. Yeah to where what, what God says about you and all the gifts that he's given you by his grace, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, the advocacy and intercession for you of, of Christ, all of that needs to loom much larger in your mind. It will give you the confidence that you need to walk in. So if I'm grabbing a guy by the arm before he walks to the door and I've got you know five seconds, I say, you're a child of God. Yeah. You're beloved by God. No matter what happens in there, God still loves you and approves of you. In, in Christ, you can have all the confidence you need and then, you know, push, yeah, them, push, through, them, push them through the door. <laughs> and you walk away. <laughs> <laughs> I walk away. But like, if I mean, that's yeah. the five-second pep talk for me. Yeah. It's like, remember who you are in Christ. Yeah. Because things are going to go like haywire if, you, if, that, if that diminishes in your brain and all you just see are the frowns mm. and the consternation and, and the disapproval. I think you're right, too, in terms of like calmness, mm. keeping, in a sense— when you're submitted to the sovereignty of God and you have adjusted your own emotionality to, about the situation 
to God's care for you, God's concern for you, God's priority in your life, Christ's lordship over your life, it's almost like you can, you're a walking eye of the storm because like I'm not being pushed or pulled by what's happening in the room. I'm speaking into it and I'm not unaffected by it, but I'm in the center of the peace of God. And so you can be kind of a walking eye of the storm in those situations. I'm not going to get overstimulated by somebody overreacting. I'm not going to, you know, do tit for tat. I'm not going to, you know, just get into the, you know, criticism match. I I think being able to walk away, I mean, there's been a number of conversations where I think I've gone as far as I can go. And there's no budging. There's no retracting. There's no, and I just think this is fruitless. This is kind of, and I think of all the times Jesus walked away, Yeah, you know, or told his disciples, just wipe the dust off feet, you know, and move on. I think it's so funny though that this um, this particular topic I find quite emotional, just in the in the sense of pastors don't well the good pastors don't don't aim to antagonize people. You know we 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 don't yeah that's not our aim here. Our aim is to glorify God. And oh man, the amount of times I've been pushed and pulled in conversations, and I haven't been good at being the eye of the storm and being calm. I've always felt, you know, even more frustrated with myself. Mm. And I think this is something I would say is that, you know, your five second pep talk, you know, the next bit is you might get this wrong. Mm. If you do, kind of be quick to own up to it and and, and be willing to say, I'm sorry, brother or sister. I I think I've gone a little bit too far here. Let let me pull back a little bit. I'm not saying it the way I want to say it or I've gone, I've gone too emotional, whatever it is. There was a situation um, not so long ago in, in my own personal ministry where uh, a leader of the church basically had we got to the point where we had to remove him, um, and it, it was a really difficult situation. And um, I actually sent a letter to the church to to say that I I think I'd myself and a couple of other leaders said we, we think we've not handled this particularly well. We still stand by what we need to do, but but we're sorry if if at any point we have stepped below being above reproach. Um, and some of the church appreciated that. Some of it, some of the church thought it was odd uh, that a pastor <laughs> was willing to admit mistake. But one of the things I was told by someone at that point uh, was that um, they are so grateful for a pastor willing to have the difficult conversation and then willing to say when they got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, and so that's something I would say is just because you're willing to have the difficult conversation doesn't mean you're in the right. <laughs> right. And doesn't mean you're going to do it right. But over the years, There'll be more right than wrong, you know, if you're willing to kind of admit that. But for me, yeah, when I look back over the last 10 years, I have got it wrong so many times. And I think that's ultimately how to have difficult conversations. You almost have to get it wrong a couple of times to feel that yeah. pain of going, I made this worse. And then once you feel that pain, you're you're determined not to do those things again. Right. It's such a delicate thing. I mean, I think through a handful of like, okay, in my just my mental list of what are the top five yeah. difficult conversations I've had, in, especially in ministry. And so often they involve me walking in thinking, okay, I, I have to address this. How do I do it in such a way that positions the other person to be open to what yeah. I have to say and to consider it? I don't want to put them on the defensive. I don't want them. I don't, I don't want to get into a fight. Yeah. I don't want to be in conflict, but I, this is an unavoidable conversation. H- how do I approach it? I can think of a, a really difficult conversation with a couple of divisive people. And, you know, I brought in another pastor with me to kind of serve as a witness, so to speak, and to speak into the situation. I made sure that he was 
a very gentle, mm-hmm. calm, listening kind of person. You know, I'm not, you know, bringing in somebody for, you know, a tag team match or anything like that. Somebody whose presence will be calming, mm-hmm. whose presence is, you know, stabilizing and someone who is respected by the people that I'm trying to speak to. So I, I'm, you know, want to ensure that. I began by asking questions rather than just out of the gate going, this is what I see and this is what I think you're doing. Yeah. And can, you know, let's talk about it. I began by asking questions about how they felt about church, ministry, how they felt about me. I legitimately was asking because some of the measure of divisiveness seemed rather personal. I, there was a disgruntlement with me. And I, instead of just going, I know you have this issue with me, I just said, have I hurt you or offended yeah. you in some way I'm not aware of? And legitimately asking because if they said, you know, actually, yeah. you know, such and such time, you did this and that was, so I could go, oh, my goodness, I, I'm sorry that I, I didn't realize that or I'm sorry that wasn't on my mind or I wasn't sensitive enough mm-hmm. to that. So I could legitimately apologize. But trying to, in a sense, not put them on the defensive, entering with a place, you know, posture of humility myself, because maybe I do have it wrong. Yeah. Or I just don't know the reasoning for it. I think I'm I'm right. I'm 99% sure I'm right in terms of what they're doing is wrong. But I do want to understand why. And maybe if we address that, actually, it will yeah. diffuse some of the conflict-type issues. And, of course, that's not always the yeah. case. The delicate part is doing that without softening or watering down a significant issue that yeah. you need to address. It, yep. It's a sin to be divisive. It's a yeah. sin to sow division in a church. You know, there are things that you know, you know, when somebody needs to repent of, there's a difference between coming in as a gentle shepherd wanting to get to that issue and coming in as a conflict avoider trying to water things down and avoid yeah. the issue entirely and let, let's get out of here totally unscathed if I, you know yeah i think i think you, the difficult bit is needed but i also think the way to not water it down is to also bring positive affirmations yeah so i, I had a conversation recently with somebody and it was a kind of a slightly awkward difficult one And I started with, you know, I want to be very clear. I have this one particular thing I want to talk about. It's limited to that one thing. That's the issue. Out with of that, hey, I've been so blessed by this, this, and really encouraged by this. But this one thing, I I just need to talk about this because it's like the one thorn that I can't seem to remove from the situation. And I think think that's important to still affirm people if you can. Do you know, I can see that you're struggling with this. And it's paining me to bring this up because, you know, I want to to bring this up. But interestingly, one of the things I have a habit of doing, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit, is I tend to make it about myself. And it's something my <laughs> wife uh, picks up that it's it's not really about you. So it's like going into a situation saying, hey, you just did this and I felt. And oh, hey, um, this situation is going on. And in my experience, it's actually, you're not trying to, impart yourself you're not trying to make it about yourself or give yourself as an example you're trying to say i'm seeing something and as i compare to christ here's the issue um because when you when you make it about yourself you you set yourself up for failure you're going to be the one that someone's going to have a difficult conversation with hey in this meeting you said this i'm not seeing that do you know so don't compare to yourself in that difficult conversation can i speak on the practicals outside of it Something my wife does, I don't I don't know if she's aware that she consciously does this, but she's usually aware when I need to have a difficult conversation with somebody. So post that conversation, uh, she tends to give me space, um, often encourages me to go and have a lie down or go for a walk or go out some, outside somewhere. And, and she will quietly just sit there and, and kind of let me just 
just kind of deal with it myself. Mm-hmm. And then later she'll, she'll ask the question, do you want to talk about this or do you want to do something else? I'm the guy that always wants to talk about it. And she'll, <laughs> she'll just sit there and, and she'll, she'll be gentle. She'll sometimes say, Hey, I, you might have got that one a bit wrong. I don't divulge everything, but she's willing to listen. And, and I so appreciate that. I don't think every spouse should do that. I'm not saying that that's the norm, but you should have some let out after that conversation. Um, yeah. And for me, it's, it's my family home. I need to be around my family. Colossians 4, 6, Paul says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What do you, what do you suppose he means by seasoned with salt? When you think, you know, a salty conversation, with, think of something that could be actually kind of abrasive or sometimes salty language is, you know, foul yeah. language and that sort of thing. I mean, salt in, this, in the scripture, I mean, Jesus talks about, mm. you know, you're the salt of the earth, that sort of thing. But what does it mean to have our conversation seasoned with salt? If you put it in just a purely, you know, what do you use salt for? To, to bring taste out, to bring something out. Mm-hmm. So if you season a conversation with salt, you're, you're, you're not trying to put people down. You're not trying to hammer them. You're trying to pull something out. Yeah. Preserve something as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the seasoning with salt is the not going in going, I have something to say. This is what's going to be said. And then going out, it's actually, I'm having this conversation because I want to bring the best out in you. And I'm not seeing that. And so here's my attempt to love you and, yeah. and bring you up to make... <laughs> I was about to say, to make you more tasty. And that's, that's, <laughs> we don't support that. Um, but that's kind of my thought process behind it. Are you bringing people down or are people refreshed by you? Yeah. I mean, going in, what's, your, what's the end game? Mm. Is it just a win? Yeah. Or, you know, get your way? Or is it because you really care about that person? I mean, that's yeah. sort of a heart check before the difficult conversation is. Uh, and I can be legitimately angry with somebody, I suppose. But in your anger, do not sin. Yeah. I mean, I, I can say, gosh, what they're doing is wrong. It's hurtful. It's harmful, not just to me, but to the family or to the church or to whatever. That's a legitimate thing. But I'm not going to go in full of anger. I'm not yeah. going to give vent to my anger because my desire is that they would repent, not just that mm-hmm. I go in and they feel squashed. You know, my end goal is that they would, they would have a change of heart yep. because I care about them. Yeah. I, I, I don't want this for them either, you know. In my second pastorate, I was very much, I wanted to win. And hmm. I learned the hard way that winning at all costs actually makes you lose. Um, and I remember one particular guy, just there was so much antagonism. <laughs> he pinned me against the wall one day. So, you know, there was issues. Wow. Um, and we had to have a difficult conversation. And I remember coming out of that going, oh, I won. Mm-hmm. And then within about two minutes, I was like, I've completely lost. Yeah. Like I, I'm done. This this relationship's gone because I sought to win. Over the years, that's quieted down. I've realized that winning is actually the gospel. It's seeing people's lives change. If I don't have to have this conversation ever again with you, that is a win because your heart has been changed for Christ. I, I think back to one of the questions we had about a young guy being uh, feeling immature. In your immature days, you're you're going to want to win. Um, I I counsel against that. Um, it, it caused, caused me a lot of pain in my first few years mm. of ministry. And now, um, more often than not, I feel like I quote lose uh, those conversations <laughs> and the ones that you think you're losing are actually the ones that Christ is really doing a work in and, and, yeah. and you're going to see phenomenal change. 
Well, and being willing to lose yeah. in some sense as a means of, I mean, that's what it takes just to do what's right and yeah. to be faithful and, and, and to say, I've, I've done what I can. Uh, my wife and I have been watching the television show Better Call Saul, which I don't know if I should. I'm not necessarily recommending it to our family audience. Um, <laughs> okay. But it's a, I mean, it was a network television show and mm-hmm. it's a prequel in some sense to, the, to Breaking Bad, which was okay. much more famous. So it follows a sub-character. The first three seasons, one of the prominent relationships is, so the main character, whose name is Jimmy, and his older brother. And his older brother has, uh, is mentally ill, b- believes that he's allergic to ele- electricity, and so he lives his life by gas lamp and different things like that. But he also, he's just a horrible older brother. Yeah. Uh, he resents any of Jimmy's success. He treats him very poorly. He, he says that he loves him, but he's always sabotaging him and denigrating him and, and, and disregarding him. Meanwhile, Jimmy, the younger brother, is, is really caring for his brother. He, he's not a perfect character, and that's, you know, he, he's a main character. He's, he, he's very much a flawed, he's kind of an anti-hero. So he's kind of a sleazy lawyer type, but he loves his brother. He loves his older brother. And he gets up at 6 a.m. every morning to go bring his brother coffee and groceries and ice because he can't have electricity, right? So he keeps ice in an ice chest. He brings a big bag of ice, uh, the five newspapers that his brother wants to read every single day. He's been doing this for years. And you watch over three seasons as this relationship just begins to disintegrate because the older brother, Chuck, just can't stand Jimmy. Mm. And it, it severs irreparably, and I won't go through every plot point. But last night we were watching an episode where Jimmy goes back to Chuck's house, mm. and I'm yelling at the TV. I'm like, just be done. Yeah. Quit going back there. He doesn't he, – he's not going to receive whatever you're trying to do. This relationship is beyond repair. Yeah. I mean, I'm like yelling at the TV. I was like, this is frustrating. Why are you doing this? Just stop. We're now three seasons in. Mm. This is a dysfunctional, unhealthy, not good for either one. Just don't go in. And Jimmy goes into the house, and he looks at his brother, and he, and this is what kills me because I didn't know what was happening. This is a secular TV show. Yeah, he says, "I, I regret some of the things that I've I've done. I just want you to know that I'm sorry for." He's apologizing to this brother who's been a dirtbag to him. Yeah. It's not a Christian. Yeah, there's no theological concept of grace in this show. And this is literally what I said. I was like, you just need to stop. You need to leave. Let him die alone. Because that's where this guy's going. He's basically going to die alone. I said, just let, this is what he wants. He's creating this, this world around him that's of animosity and pushing everyone away. Just let him die alone. And this younger brother's looking at his older brother, and tears are welling up in his eyes. And he's just saying, I want you to know I regret. I'm like, why are you even... And he walked out, and I had this change of heart watching this stupid secular TV show that knows nothing of the gospel. I thought, this is a picture of grace mm. because he has every right to, to not ever speak to his brother again. He has every right to just sort of cut that relationship off. He has every right to, if he's going to go into the house, to say that. You're a jerk. Yeah. You've ruined our relationship. This is because of you. But he walked in and said, I want to apologize. for," And I just thought, this is what a gracious. This is what yeah. grace looks like. Yeah. You're taking some ownership. You're you're trying to, as flawed as you can, bring some humility to the thing, and all because you desire the relationship. That's what Jimmy wants. He's yeah. not trying to win. I mean, at, at points along the way, yeah, he's trying to win. But the thing that he loves the most, 
in the opening scene of this last episode, this episode where that happens, the opening scene is a flashback to them as boys sitting in a tent. And the older brother, who looks to be, you know, 14, is reading a storybook to Jimmy, who looks to be about eight or something like, you know. Um, and it's a very short scene, and there's nothing, you know, meaningful spoken. It's just these two boys and the older brother reading a book to the younger brother in a tent. And then the opening credits begin. And they're setting the framework of what Jimmy wants is he just wants his big brother. Yeah. And he wants him in his life. He wants a healthy relationship. He just wants his brother to love him. I mean, we see some of that on the cross, don't we, of, mm. of Christ in all intents and purposes losing. But the world did not know in that moment that he was winning for eternity mm. um, what we could then have. And I think if we bring that to these difficult conversations of this is not about, I have six people on side. I've got the votes. We're doing this. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah. If it's more about, you know what, I might have six people on side, but I have two against. So, so we're not going to go ahead yeah. because the relationship that we need to have is far better, far more valuable than this X project. That, I'll take the hits. I'll take the loss yeah. for love Yeah, to make sure. Man, yeah. that sounds like a good line for an eldership meeting there. Is it? Yeah. I'll take the hits for love. Yeah. All right. And then everyone's like, yeah, but what do you really mean? <laughs> I just like that I went on this extended diatribe about Better Call Saul and you're like, let's talk about the cross. Yeah, I'm kind of like, <laughs> you're like, let me talk about a TV show that I wouldn't recommend that no one should actually watch. Well, let's talk about the scene. You know, just because I'm talking about a scene doesn't mean I'm re endorsing the entire thing. Well, but anyway. I'm, I'm yeah. endorsing Christ. So there you go. Uh, well, I'll second that endorsement okay. as well. I endorse the whole thing. Not just a scene, but the whole Lord and Savior. Mm. Uh, it's a good episode. We got, we got more time out of this than I thought we would. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed the program, Please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You might hear your review on this show. We would enjoy that very much. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.